Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting. Welcome to Bakersfield Observe with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the new Bakersfield Observer podcast not so new anymore we record it right here at the american general media offices off california avenue and highway 99 this podcast airs weekly and it complements the work of my bakersfield observed blog you can access the podcast via spotify or wherever you access your podcast you can also access it on currentradio.com today we turn our focus to water our current drought as we look ahead at what uh, will bring us in this winter. Joining me today to talk about this is none other than Lois Henry, who serves as Chief Executive Officer and President of SJVWater.org, a website devoted to following the politics and regulatory environment of water in California. Lois, welcome back to the show. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. Good. Let's start with an overall question here. We're Moving into uh, coming out of a dry, another dry summer, California wildfires, going into yet another drought, you know. You don't know that. We don't know that. Well, well, tell me, are we heading into... The new water year starts October 1st. Okay. What does that mean, a new water year? (laughs) They, They calculate, they look at the, they don't look at it on a calendar year because in California, um, it starts to hopefully get a little cooler and wetter mm-hmm. in October. And then they look at it like from October 1st through September 30th. So that's why the water year starts October 1st. Okay. Tell me about the water year we've just wrapped up. Um, it was epically, epically horrible. Um, How horrible? It was, um, what I've been hearing from farmers and, and other people is that the um, water tables have dropped at least 100 to 200 feet in some areas. How because significant is that? That sounds like a lot to the layman, but it's huge. That's yeah, huge, it's huge. Right. That's okay. you know, for anybody with a shallow well and drinking water wells, and SJV Water's been doing a lot of stories on small communities that have um, fairly uh, shallow wells. These are often in um, poor rural areas, and they've already been going dry. Mm-hmm. And um, I just uh, we're just picking up on a story. It'll probably come out in the next. Um, couple of days about um self-help enterprises is a is a group out of visalia they actually started years ago to help with housing and they ended up you know really helping with water and helping little um communities navigate the there's this is so difficult to get funding and applications Mm. for help and everything so they started helping with that and they've become really expert at um, helping navigate the state system uh, for these small systems and they said they've been getting like 200 calls a week or something i mean it's just because Wells are going dry all over the place. These these shallower wells because is, is, is this water tables new, drop. These wells going dry, or do these wells drying up? Does this happen with every 
every kind of cyclical drought cycle? It does not happen um, every cyclical drought cycle. Things have been getting worse progressively. In the 90s, we had a huge drought um, in Kern County. Um, Hundreds of acres, hundreds of thousands of acres were fallowed in the 90s, but you didn't see these domestic wells going dry like like you do now. Um, you started seeing that in 2009. I did stories on it for the Bakersfield, California, and right, right out here in Rosedale, um, things were going dry, uh, whole communities. And they were these shallow wells. They weren't attached to you know a, um, a city system or anything because the way that Kern County and many other counties in the Valley have let people develop is they just sort of like, oh, okay, you've got water? Great. They never really... Mm-hmm. They didn't require sewer connections and, you know, the water could have been an old ag well, you know, that was drilled to, you know, two, 300 feet and they just, you know, maybe put treatment on it or maybe not, you know, in some cases like East Porterville, it was a PVC pipe and a sump pump and they called it good. Um, there just wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of, uh, regulatory, even though California is the regulatory, uh, nanny state of the world. Um, there just wasn't a lot of regulatory oversight on these things. So in 2009, the drought in 2009, you started to see these little shallow wells going dry. And then in the last drought, 2012 to 2016, whole communities went dry. East Porterville was the epicenter of it, but you saw even more places, you know, there's like thousands of, of shallow domestic wells going dry. But that was like after two to three years of drought. This drought and you can make the argument that from 2009 to the present, we've had a few wet years in what has been a long-term drought. I mean, when you really start to look at these things over time, it's like, well, you know, they're really, everyone kind of likes to say, well, we, we're, we're in a normal year or an average year. But if you right. look at this, the totality of it, um, we've just been shorter and shorter and shorter and in terms of water supplies and it sort of indicates to me, and I've been saying this for years, that we ought to live, especially, you know, communities, we ought to live like we have a lot less water. Yeah. And and bank the supplies that we get in extra years, that's great, but we ought to live like it's a severe drought every year because... And we're not. Right, and we're not, and we and haven't What been. would that look like? Would you have water restrictions on home use or... or? Yeah, you wouldn't have quarter-acre lawns. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing in... Um, I think in LA they have shown that you can do, you can still grow. They have grown and they have reduced their water use uh, per capita and overall in LA because they've been very serious about trying to um, hard harden their residents against drought. And the and, and what know, are they, only... what are they telling residents you can, they can't do? Is it the size of the lawns? It is is it water saving devices on new home? I mean, what, what, all, all of the above. You, how do you tackle that? So it's all of the above. They have a really aggressive turf replacement program. Um, so it's an incentive type thing. Uh, people don't like to be told what to do, but if, if you give them, you know, the opportunity to do something and get money for it, that, you know, steers in the right direction, people are much more amenable to that. So xeriscaping, which is, uh, using drought, drought tolerant plants and landscaping, gravel and rocks and, you know, statuary and all that kind of stuff to make it attractive, but not use very much water because lawns are just... In fact, they never should have started lawns in California ever or in the West. It's, is, is the it's American a, lawn that a green lawn we all love so much and worry about crabgrass, is that the greatest consumer of water yeah. in California? It is. For urban 
um, for urban environments, the, the biggest water sucker is landscaping. And the biggest portion of that is lawns. Okay. And they are really kind of pointless. And they're really a hangover from, you know, trying to, I right. guess, um, emulate British nobility. Hmm. But, you know, because they had these big, beautiful lawns and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it rains a lot in England. doesn't rain a lot here. So right. we should probably really adjust our ideas of what's attractive to our resources here. So anyway... Mm. I think we can do it. I think we can do a lot better. Um, interestingly, um, Bakersfield, um, the water purveyors here. And remember, this is all potable water that's going mm. onto your lawn. You could drink it. Yeah, right. And that means it's been treated. Yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of effort right. that's gone into that water that we're just tossing out on a lawn. So it's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, Bakersfield, it, I, I was kind of shocked earlier this year because Everybody knew that this drought, even though this is, although they're saying, they're saying now this is the second year of the drought because 2020 was, you know, dry too. But anyway, this is really the first year of being in the drought. And it's far worse than mm -hmm. even, like, we're at the stage now that we were at in 2015, and that was after three years of drought. Wow. So, you know, with water tables dropping and just no water, surface water. But it took, I think in 2015, Newsom... Wait, was it Newsom or was it Brown? Might have been Brown at the time. Um, mandated a reduction in in everybody's water usage, right. and they haven't done that now, which is and I surprising. Kind of, I think it's surprising. I also think that the recall uh, backed um, yeah, right. the Newsom administration off on you know being more aggressive on these things. I think they probably should have made a mandatory because they they asked for voluntarily. You know, hey, could you guys please everybody just reduce your water consumption by 15 percent mm -hmm. and it went up mm -hmm. so obviously you know just mm -hmm. asking nicely didn't really help so i think they probably should have done a mandatory because in spring by march i was doing stories about how the the fall had been so dry that the the precipitation that fell in the mountains and started to melt in february in february that's when we get a little bit warmer it was sucked away it was just mm -hmm. wasn't there mm -hmm. i mean i did stories on the um Airborne Snow Observatory, which is a new, uh, well, not new, new, but um, it's a new feature. It's a, it's all of this like LIDAR equipment and radar and stuff, and they fly over uh, watersheds, and they were coming back, and they were saying, you know, there's just nothing. There's not only nothing in the lower reaches, there's nothing in the higher reaches, like above 10,000 yeah, feet. Yeah, there was right. nothing. It was wow. dry. Wow. So people knew in March, you know, that this was going to be Extremely bad after a fairly dry 2020. So they should have probably done a mandatory conservation. Yeah, you said something earlier. I'm going to explore uh, that I found interesting and important in, in that you can't look at these drought years from one year to the next. If you look back over, the, say, the course of a decade or a decade and a half or whatever, you get a better better picture of it. Look back on the last 10 years as as from your seat as kind of a water expert. And what are we looking at? We're, we're in a drought. This is just, I kind of hate to say that because I think that, I think that everybody got used to um, a more lush California and Southwest. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they thought that this was normal. And there's now indications that we really populated, you know, in the 1840s. Um, the American Southwest, and it's not just California, and you look at the Colorado River watershed, mm -hmm. that we really populated it in an, in an aberrantly lush period. <laughs> and we, yeah. Well, obviously, we didn't know. We didn't have records going back. You know, right. Indians, you know, now are talking about how their ancestors talked about there being massive droughts, et cetera. So 
Um, I think that we need to look at these dry periods and really, like I said, live almost below those uh, resources because we have adapted and grown the state and in a way that takes advantage of what was true 100 years ago and we're thinking that was normal but it's turning out it's not looking like that was normal Mm -hmm. um now that they're looking at tree 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 rings and stuff going back even farther that these long-term very dry periods are are what is normal for this region of the country. You know, what is a long-term Like 20, 30, 20, sometimes 100 years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. And what does that mean for, again, we, we tend to look at these, these dry periods in, in small little uh, right. segments. We're here now, but tomorrow we'll be somewhere they're, else. They're cutting back the, the, the water allocation of the farmers here or whatever. What, what, what does this mean for the, I mean, if you're a farmer and you're looking at this, looking at this, and they know what you know, you're like, well, you know, what am I betting the, uh, what am I betting the ranch on? I mean, what what, what can they expect? Well, it, there's all there's different viewpoints. It's interesting. I've been talking to a lot of farmers lately um, up in Kings County. Um, of course, they're looking at the regulatory um, restrictions in the Delta. And a lot, and, and almost almost to a person, they they're very frustrated by the California's regulatory restrictions about water coming through the Sacramento San Joaquin Delta, um, and and to a certain extent they're right, and to a certain extent I'm not sure where they're going to get with that. There's a lot of uh, communities in the because the concern about the water in the Delta is that they need enough to flush the salt line back so that it doesn't come in from the ocean and wreck people's mm-hmm. water quality. You, right there that are surviving on Delta water. And they're concerned about fish, Delta smelt, and the various this salmon is, populations. This is where you hear where you, we have perfectly good water and we're sending it out to sea. Right. right. Because the rivers, the, the Merced, the San Joaquin, not so much the Kern, but the Kings, the San Joaquin, the Merced rivers, they all flow up north and push into the Delta. That's And then, of course, the Sacramento and the American and Feather River come from the north down into the south and fill up the Delta. And so that the thinking amongst uh, re- environment, I'm sorry, uh, regulators is that they need enough of that water to push back the salt line and, the, and to help the fish species survive. And... Um, a lot of these farmers are looking at saying, well, you know, there's other things that cause problems for fish. Like um, there's a lot of those communities along the Delta and around the Delta, including Sacramento, that flush their toilets literally straight into the Delta. And that creates an ammonia. Pr- yeah. <laughs> Sacramento. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We yeah. do that? Yes, yes, yes. There isn't what any. What is this, Haiti? I know. It's really. We are, fl- yeah. we are putting raw sewage yeah, there has, straight yeah. into the Delta? Yes, in many places. They've. Now, Sacramento has since had to, yeah, don't go swimming up there is what I'm telling you. <laughs> Watch where you're swimming. Yeah, really. um, Sacramento, they passed a couple of years ago, they passed a new rate structure that's going to ha- build the tertiary treatment that they need. And a bunch of the people in Sacramento were all kind of up in arms about that because it jacked up their sewer rates. But at the same time, it's like, well, you can't just flush your toilets straight into the, the Delta oh and, then claim, and then claim the fish are dying because right. a, you know a farmer took you know some extra water come on we gotta we all have to pull together if we're gonna solve this problem but anyway so a lot of the farmers are saying look you know you need to be able to take more water out of the delta for this farming etc and then there's another a, a lot of farmers that are saying and they're starting to be a little bit more vocal is that we have exceeded our footprint 
Like, because when you look at the history of the projects that bring that delta water down here, and there's the Central Valley Project on the east side of the valley, essentially. It's a little more complicated than that. And then there's the state water project that brings water down through the aqueduct on the west side of the valley. Kern County, most of that, most of our farming, you know, uses that state water, but some of them use that federal water. But anyway, these these projects were created. People never want to talk about this, but they were created in the 30s and the 60s to alleviate the subsidence that was already happening because people were over pumping. Farming was over pumping. Wow. Yeah. So So there was pumping that far uh, over pumping that far back. Yeah, back to the 20s. There was oh, a huge wow. drought in the 20s and there were and there and and you started to see land sink and you started to see people go under because they couldn't get enough water out of the uh, ground. So so yes, this is this is nothing new. We are reliving the same scenario over and over and over again and we kind of never really learn how to get out of it but anyway so those projects brought that water in to alleviate that situation and to keep farming basically at its uh, footprint at the time mm-hmm. um and and keep it healthy and of course it's expanded yeah. in a in a huge way um mm-hmm. the the crop report for Kern County just came out and I don't know if you read it, mm-hmm. $7 billion. And that's great. That's wonderful revenue and all that kind of stuff. But it's also uh, mostly almonds and pistachios. They've expanded like exponentially. And those Water are ve- suckers. very yeah. thirsty crops, almonds more so than pistachios. And a lot yeah. of people, including the almond board, will say that they only take 2.5 acre feet per acre. Most farmers will tell you that to have a really healthy and strong yield, you need about four acre feet per acre mm-hmm. of almonds. So anyway, mm-hmm. so the farming footprint has expanded. So a lot of the, um, a lot of farmers up and down the valley are now kind of talking about that. Like, hey, this wasn't like this when I was farming in the 60s and 70s. We had a lot more rangeland that wasn't watered. You know, we had uh, smaller dairies. We had much smaller farms that, you know, anyway, so... As far as what the future holds, most farmers, um, well, they're pessimists. It's so funny because it's like, why do you keep farming when you believe everything is going right. straight to hell? Right. <laughs> but that's their attitude. Well, you, you're, 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 <laughs> well, they keep doing you're it. You're betting your future and they keep doing it. Yeah, they keep doing mm-hmm. it. It's, uh, mm-hmm. And thank God they do because, you yeah, know, yeah. we wouldn't have anything to eat otherwise. But anyway, so the, a lot of them are very pessimistic about the future. They don't know what's going to happen with the new groundwater legislation that's restricting groundwater and, you know, there doesn't seem to be any alleviation whatsoever from the state and the feds in terms of bringing more water out of the Delta. So I think that the face of this valley is going to be very different in, in 10 to 15 years as the sustainable Talk groundwater. Talk to me about that. What do you mean? It's going to be, a, uh, I'm assuming, slower growth, no growth? Well, I mean, what, where can we go? I mean, how long can we go down this? Since I've lived here, we've talked about this, and now it's getting worse. But I'm I'm just curious about... When do we put, when is there going to be meaningful water restrictions for me and you and, and, and the farmers? Yeah. Um, there's going to have to be under, under SIGMA, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that was passed in 2014. It goes into full effect in 2040. So we've got about 19 years, but, but we're heading down that direction already where... Do we have 19 years? Um, not if we don't get a few more flush years and figure out how to store, uh, water in those flush years and keep it for us. We don't, I mean, we're going to see massive, we're, if we can't get better at keeping the water in flush years and, and restricting ourselves, we're going to see massive, I think, dry 
wells. And in fact, SJV Water is about to come out with a story on a community in the valley that is not having, they, they, they desperately need housing. Their growth is dictating housing. Mm-hmm. The state is banging on their door saying, you've got to provide more housing mm-hmm. because there's all these laws that require it. And they cannot because they cannot get the wells dug and they they don't have the water in the water table anyway. So if they start to dig a well, it's like, well, you've still got to go down another hundred feet. And I mean, it's just, it's becoming water has already restricted growth in this one area. So that's, that's a story coming out in SJV water soon. Um, What community is this? Well, you're going to have to check back. You're going to have to check back, sjvwater.org, check back. And um, I know that Lorelai Oviat, who I would highly recommend you have on your podcast regularly, because mm-hmm. she's just a font of information, um, she has already, for the last probably 10 to 15 years, been looking at growth and um, requests for growth and you know applications and, and including water as a significant factor of that. Like, where are you getting your water? If you're going to uh, change the land use for this piece of land, how is it going to affect the water and what's the what's the water outcome going to be and you know and requiring things like water budgets per household they've mm-hmm. already done that under her leadership so mm-hmm. I, I, you're going to see more and more and more of that you're going to have to yeah right right uh talk to me about uh uh if it, from what you know now looking back given given the you know the hindsight of of history and experience you're settling this California. Where do you, and, and, and you're looking at the projects we built that were, as you said, originally to to address subsidence. What is the state of California, what was it built to, to, to house? How many people? I mean, I mean, do we have too many people now? Well, yeah, we're at what, 35, 37 million. Mm-hmm. And unless we... Uh, really invest in water infrastructure, and that could be a, a myriad of different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be dams, but there should be way more groundwater banking, and mm-hmm. we've got to fix our conveyance systems. They're all broken from subsidence, and I know people say, oh, well, the farmers broke it. They should fix it, but in fact, it's going to affect the ability of us to grow and mm-hmm. continue to sustain the population we have. So, I mean, there's a, there are a lot of people out there with different speculative, like we, you know, were 20 million people over what the system was built to handle. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, as you know, cannot do math. Right. So I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that, that involves a calculation. I don't know. Right, right, <laughs> so. right. Okay. All right. Uh, l- l- let's move to, to the river, my favorite subject, and one of your favorite mm. subjects. Uh, this thing is in court. It's where are we with the friends of the river and the challenges yeah. and the city trying to get... Uh, at least some semblance of, of water in, in the Kern River through town year-round? So there, there's a couple different things. Um, the city is in court with North Kern Water Storage District over um, water, but I, I don't want to talk about that. It's a very complicated subject in and of itself. This, this uh, other procedure that I think people should be paying attention to, and I'm trying to find out from the state right now when the public can get in, make comments, and and that's going to be a part of the accepted procedure. This is the um, uh, fully appropriated stream status. Sorry <laughs> for the jargon, but and it's under the State Water Resources Control Board. Um, that's the process that's ongoing right now that I think the public, and in fact, um, 
the Bring Back the Kern organization hired an attorney, and he's he has already gotten um, them involved in the system. You have to have standing to be able to, mm-hmm. um, you know, make comments and file briefings and all that kind of stuff. And he's done that. His name's Adam Keats. He's an attorney, and he is using the public trust doctrine to say. Um, the public deserves water in the river in this in this process, and just so everybody understands the background here, um, in 2007, a judge um, found that um, a, wa- a local water district had forfeited a portion of its Kern River rights, but um, that portion, uh, the judge said, I don't have the jurisdiction to say who should get this chunk of water. That is under the state water resources control board. So in 2007, he kicked it up to the state. Um, and the first thing that had to happen is the state had to find, yes, there is unappropriated water on the Kern River because these all these rivers are so oversubscribed yeah. that in some cases, if you forfeited a chunk of the water, well, you know, it's already been used. It's like it's yeah. anyway, so in two thousand eleven, the state said, oh, yes, there is unappropriated water on the river. But they never said how much or who mm-hmm. should get it. So mm-hmm. now, fast forward, 11 years, here we are, and the state is taking that question up again. Just So that's the whole background. And um, there are five entities that applied for that chunk of loose water, and the state is, or I'm sorry, the city of Bakersfield is one of those entities. And in that application, which, by the way, if it's granted, has the force of law, so they cannot change what they do, do with it, the city of Bakersfield said, if we get this chunk of water, we're going to run it down the river. And we're going to run it down the river through town, you know, that is like manor to Stockdale. And we're going to do it for water recharge. We're going to do it for recreation. And we're going to do it for flora and fauna to sort of re-liven the river in that section. Mm -hmm. So, um, and by the way, you can't go and apply for the chunk of water on your own. It's a $400,000 fee for the application. So not that many people are going to do it, but you know, it's applications are closed. So we're only looking at these applications. And then the, uh, bring back the river group basically sort of signed on as a supporter of the city. So that's what they're doing. They're saying, we want to, we want to get an oar in the water here. Ha ha. Um, and we're supporting the city and we're supporting it by saying the public trust doctrine should hold sway here. And, um, well, it's a ringy-ding-ding. Um, anyway, uh, so I will just also mention that somebody in this room right here amongst us wrote years ago, years and years ago. Some of your best work. I remember it like it was yeah, yesterday. That the river, the river would come under the public trust doctrine. And yeah. the public trust doctrine is just that the state of California essentially owns all the water in the state. They hold it in trust for the public mm-hmm. and that they give out these licenses and all this kind of stuff for the greatest, highest use for the public. And that typically, you know, has been farming because that provides sustenance and jobs and tax base mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But things are changing and the the um, the ecosystem, ecology, environment, whatever you want to call it, the recreational opportunities and stuff have, have risen in um, importance in terms of the public trust doctrine. So that's what this group is doing. So they're saying, look, we're supporting the, the Bakersfield application, for, and we're saying uh, that it's important under the public trust doctrine. And they're kind of even going further and saying they might actually think there's more water for the public trust to hmm. to, to have and mm-hmm. that it's time for the... Anyway, so it's that's what I've been following. Um, 
And it's a very sort of long and complicated process, as you can imagine. Numerous other water districts are fighting it tooth and nail. They don't necessarily have terrible arguments. I wish, I wish they could come up with a way to share the water. Share the water somehow. Because yeah. we do have wells and pumps and a canal right next to the river that can take water backwards, forwards, mm-hmm. up, down. You know, so we have the plumbing along the Kern yeah. River to do something like this, yeah, but yeah. Um, people just have not. You know, water is so valuable right now. I say it's more valuable than oil. It's more valuable than gold. Um, And if you get a water right, that is, uh, you know, that's that's huge. So people are fighting tooth and nail. I wish they could come up with a, a way to come have a compromise but it's so far it hasn't happened yeah predictions on where this might go how long it might last are we looking at another decade and over you know with lawyers battling over this well i will just tell you that the last time the state board actually did an adjudication it's not the right term but it's the same thing you know they were they they are the ones that settle mm-hmm. the thing it took 20 some years 21 years 22 years yeah on the fresno river so um, if it goes that route, it could be a long, long, long slog. But I am really hoping that this group is going to – because I think that the the state water board is cha- has changed significantly. You've got Joaquin Esquivel, who is the um, chairman, and you've got Laurel Firestone, who is on the board, big-time environmentalists, big-time, um, you know, about the public – Public's access. Good. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm kind of wondering if um, this new effort uh, by the Bring Back the Kern will push people to the the negotiating table. Yeah. I think that would be better for everybody yeah, right. if we could negotiate this locally. Okay. Very good. Lois Henry is with us. I promise I'd get you out of here. One last question. In, in terms of just when people listen to this, like, I love California. I don't want to have to leave. What can I do? I mean, are there small things that individual people can do to preserve water? Well, I think, you know, look at your household usage. You know, find ways to recycle it. Find ways to um, cut back. Do xeriscaping. Get rid of your lawn. Everyone should just get rid of their lawn. Um, And, um, you know... Go to a city council meeting and and ask them, you know, or or write your city council right. member and say, okay. why aren't you instituting, you know, some sort of mandatory conservation? I think everybody can do that. You know, they can ask their supervisors mm-hmm. and their local officials. You know, we need to have some sort of mandatory conservation here. I mean, everybody sees it, especially if you drive any place at five in the morning. You see these medians that are overwatered and water's Water just pouring out, out, and it's right. like, why do we need these in the medians? Right. For crepe myrtles that don't provide any shade, I don't get it. And lawn, again, why? What's the point of that? So I think those kind of small things that people can do. I also would call to action um, any of these service groups in town, Rotary, Elks, Lions, I don't know, Kiwanis, these disadvantaged communities that whose wells are going dry are fighting on their own. And and these are people who work in our communities and, and provide help and pay taxes. And I think it would behoove these uh, service groups to educate themselves about what are the nearest, because they're everywhere, Fuller Acres right down here south of Bakersfield. You've got uh, um, El Adobe right next to Arvin, uh, even further, a little further north in Rosedale. There are places where people are not getting decent water. How is that possible in this day and age? Right. I would love to see these service groups hmm. take on these communities and 
it's expensive and it's huge and it's difficult, but there's things that can be done, especially um, when those are the more powerful voices join with the more you know non-powerful voices and ask the state to get off their duff and start working on these right, things. Right. Good advice. Lois Henry, always great to have you here. I'll let you go. Lois okay, Henry, everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mr. Bean. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting.